Adrian and I'm Marilyn. Welcome to A Cult of One, a podcast that explores why toxic relationships, groups, or ideologies are so addictive, why they're so pervasive, and what makes anyone susceptible to a cult of one or many. guest is the smart and beautiful Miss Maya Nahiru. She's a clinical couples therapist based in LA. She specializes in a number of therapies such as depression, anxiety, toxic relationship recovery, trauma therapy, and work-life balance. She received her bachelor's degree in psychology from University of Washington, or UW as us native Washingtonians call it. She received her master's degree in clinical psychology with an emphasis in marriage and family therapy from Pepperdine University. She promotes inclusivity, self-love, and most importantly, her three C's, catharsis, clarity, and confidence. She's been featured in Thrive and hosted a Frame Therapy Workshop, which you can check out on frame.com. Thank you so much for blessing us with your presence. Ms. Maya, welcome to Cult of One. Thank you. <laughs> So excited. So excited. We're excited to have you as well. So so we want to start off with just touching, talking about your background and why you chose therapy, which is what I want to do in my next life. Oh, very, very cool. Um, so I actually decided to go into therapy from personal experience. When I was younger, my younger sister had an eating disorder and seeing her journey with a therapist and, you know, the therapist working with our family as well, it was incredible because she's totally healed now. She worked through it. It was difficult, but going to therapy just it got her healthy again. Um, and then when I was 18, I was diagnosed with a chronic illness and I started going to that therapist as well. And just dealing with, you know, feeling depressed, being in pain, seeing all my friends live their first year of college and having to stay home and be really sick. It was very hard. There was a lot of hopelessness um, and having just that time and space every week to meet with my therapist was incredible for healing, mm-hmm. for self-discovery, just like coping all around. So I went to school and I decided I wanted to be a therapist because I've always been a, a helper <laughs> and always felt <laughs> like going into a helping profession was something that would connect with me. Uh, so yeah, you know, I, I still shout out to Crystal, my therapist that I saw for like 16 years. Crystal, um, wouldn't, wouldn't be here without her. Mm. Wow. So you're just to confirm, you're from Seattle. You're from Washington. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god what are, where, hey what's your town so uh, what's my t- so my whole family lives in like the central district like downtown oh. downtown in seattle yeah i don't that's those aren't the right word. but i live in kent that's where i grew up yeah. that's where okay. I, went, I went to kent high school where'd you go to high school i went to it was a really small private high school in redmond redmond yeah and you're from Seattle oh my gosh so what's it like like living so you it's just like Seattle and then LA you didn't go anywhere else between right I love LA I actually I moved back to 
Seattle after I graduated from my master's program in 2018. And five months later, I was like, I can't do this. <laughs> Having been in LA for three years, the weather is just it makes such a big difference. Yeah. Well, now it's expensive in Seattle to live there, like to move back there as an adult. I don't know if I could do it. I mean, I don't want to do it, yeah. but um, is it just as expensive as LA? It's close, I think. Yeah. That's Very. crazy. So is it, did it have, has Redmond also been like built up rapidly? Like, oh my God. Wow. It's so different from when I grew up there. It's like apartment buildings everywhere, retail, just the amount of people. It's wild. I'm I'm glad my parents that's still live there be. though, because like that's money. But the <laughs> thing is, like Seattle itself is expensive. So yeah. yeah. Anyways, um, you know, universal basic income for all. So <laughs> can you go into? It's just great because I have a therapist too. She's a queen. Um, but like you're a young therapist, so are you talking to like young people, millennials? Who who's your clientele, and what's the issues that you're seeing come up? Yeah. So I I work with mostly millennials. So. Younger adults, 20s to 30-somethings, a lot of relationship issues that I work with, a lot of anxiety, depression, and trauma. So those are like my main focuses, and that's what I enjoy doing. Um, I've worked with elder adults before, and I've worked with kids too. It's just my preference is this age. Um, And I think, so on the topic of like toxic relationships, a lot of what I've seen and which is why I chose to kind of focus in it was that the depression I'm seeing, the anxiety, the lack of self-esteem, like all of that is really stemming from dysfunctional relationships with people that are somewhat abusive, you know, whether it's emotionally, sometimes physically, but At some point in life, a lot of these clients have been close to someone that's really hurt them in ways. And so, I mean, that's really what got me interested in like the toxic relationship piece that I work uh, with. Because it was so prevalent, you were finding it constantly. Well, and especially, yeah, you're like then seeing it being spread into every other part of their life. Absolutely. You know, like it other relationships it affects how you show up at work in school Mm. just like everything do you see a pattern in terms of where the toxic relationship is stemming from whether that be intimate relationships family work it's really everything all really yeah yeah do you find that people who have been in one like are they more susceptible to another Yeah, I think they can be. And, you know, I've done a lot of reading on the subject, too. And one of the things that comes up is that these people who do the abusing, the emotional abusing, these people that have toxic traits have a lot of like personality disorder traits. I'm not saying everyone has a personality disorder, but a lot of traits and characteristics of people that can be diagnosed with uh, personality disorders like sociopathy, narcissist, personality disorder. And as someone on the other side of the relationship, so the person being abused, there's a tendency to be like really empathetic. And people pleaser and a caretaker and someone who 
has a lot of faith in, you know, other people and wanting to to stick it out because you're loyal. So all of these really good attributes that get used against you in situations mm-hmm. that turn really toxic, which is sad. Um, and if you don't get the proper help and you don't heal the way you deserve to heal, then you end up falling into a similar pattern with someone else. It's so upsetting. It's so upsetting. Yeah. Okay. So we call our exes dirty boys and I think it's a form of disassociating from it. What do you think, Maya? You are a therapist and you have these. Why do you think it's... Well, yeah. Ooh, I want to know what Maya thinks. For- <laughs> well, I was actually going to ask the same question oh why do I because I think it's funny that we just don't use their names anymore and Mm -hmm. I mean obviously I think it's a protective mechanism I think that's what it is and I'm not interested in hearing his name but I didn't really realize consciously like I don't like using his name I rather call him this um even though I have no like ill feelings you know Mm -hmm. I was able to move on from that toxic space. But I think it is interesting that even in our healthy space that we still give it space. Like we still don't call them by their names or. Do you actively not call (laughs) Felton? No, I don't. I don't actively, but I think it's just funny because I, we were able to heal because we constantly talked about it. We were our own form Mm -hmm. of therapy which I argue is a necessity for any growth to happen, especially if you're getting out of a cult of one experience, which is you're in a toxic relationship. I mean, that's pretty much the definition of that. Um, so that's my point. What was I? We were asking her a question. You were asking her, does she think that is disassociating? Oh, yeah. 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 I think to a degree it can be. I mean, I think names can be very triggering because they represent something much bigger. I think on another side, like sometimes you feel like they don't deserve that, right? They don't deserve you to speak their names. Mm. They deserve that attention or just that honor from you. And so to label them as something else, it feels safer. It feels better. Like you're doing yourself more of the justice. Yeah. And that's how I feel when I do it. It's like, yeah, like I don't even want to. He gave me no respect for four years. I don't want to yeah. give you respect by calling you by your name. Oof, facts. You called me out my name. Well, facts. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, I want to go back to when you were, we were, so we, we talked about patterns and you were like, I see patterns in every sphere of, of people's lives. I mean, their relationship, their work, um, mm-hmm whatever their existential crisis so when it comes to relationships and toxic relationships particularly when people are coming to you what's getting them there like because you can stay in a a toxic relationship forever so what is different from these people that your patients that are like okay I'm ready Ooh, that's a really good question um I think it probably differs for people, but something that I see a lot of is like, you're at your wit's end. Like, you know, you don't deserve it. You know, your worth and you're, you're ready to fight for yourself again and yourself first. And I think that can take a long time. Like you said, sometimes it never happens depending on what 
your childhood has been, what your past experiences have been, the type of um, image you have of yourself and what you deserve out of life. If that's super low and you think this is the best you can do, then there's not going to be any push to Mm -hmm. change. There's not going to be anything on the other side. Whereas if you have friends and family, a strong support system around you that reminds you every day of your worth outside of the relationship. And you can really relate to that and it resonates with you and you realize the difference feeling, you know, valued and respected outside of the relationship versus the way you feel in the relationship. I think that really helps spark that fire underneath people and be like, okay, I don't want this piece of my life to feel this bad and dark and shitty for lack of a better word. Um, Another thing is just anxiety. When the anxiety starts to turn into panic, you know, it gets so severe that the panic attacks start to happen even when things aren't escalating at home or between you and the other person that the toxic relationship um, creates, like whether it's a romantic relationship at home or even between boss and employee, once that panic starts to set in and you feel like your nervous system is just on overdrive all the time, I think that gets a lot of people into because that's scary. Yeah. You're already in a situation where you feel like you don't have control. And then on top of that, when you feel like you can't control your own body, Mm. like that is terrifying. Well, I mean, that's a point that, yeah, you feel like truly, fully disconnected from yourself. Mm -hmm. Like there's nothing in me right now that I have any control over. And that's, yeah, that's a terrifying wall to hit. Mm hmm. So for people that don't have the coins or see therapy as a negative, literally see that as being weak, what what can you do for your friends or your family that you see are in um, a toxic relationship and they're they're not reaching out to a therapist or even you? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think, I mean, the first thing I would say is always utilize your support system. The best thing you can do is reach out to your friends and family and talk about what's going on. And, or even in relationships where you actually feel heard, whether it's another coworker, maybe, or like a doctor that you feel okay going to, maybe it's your primary care doctor, but just like talk about it in a way where you know you'll feel heard and that your reality will be validated. Because in these toxic relationships, your reality being invalidated is such a common experience. So using your support system, using the people around you, and also this sounds a little woo-woo to some people, but (laughs) journaling. Journaling. Uh, yeah. So using a journal, using, even if it's not a journal, just doing what we call a brain dump, where you, anything that's in your cognition, you just put it on a piece of paper to help you, one, validate your experience in the moment. And two, really help you see what you're living through. You know, one day it could be really good. And then you open up your journal and you, see all the trauma and all the shit and all the pain you've been through. Like no one wants to read that. No one wants to know that they're putting themselves through that. So to have it as a way to kind of keep yourself accountable. Um, I think that's really important. 
And I see you like nodding. Yeah, your no, because well, I just know how I was in those situations, which the moment I got through it, I was like, okay, forget about that. Like, even though it was so painful and the longer I went through it, that pain still kind of started like seeping in even to the good times to the point mm-hmm. of like, I wasn't even happy in the good times because I knew it was going to be bad in a moment. So right. I was just kind of like on eggshells. Mm-hmm. Um, you were? So I feel like, yeah, if I had like written that down to like force myself, you know, because mm-hmm. I'm deleting the text messages from it. Like I'm mm-hmm. like, OK, we're going to set that aside. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 It happen right. If I don't have to read about it. Yeah. Yeah. What What's typically the dynamics you see from like men to women in terms of like the toxicity? If everyone's coming in with that general issue, how mm-hmm. is it different from like, what are guys saying and what are women saying? Hmm. I think from what's being said, it's a lot of just like similar content about feeling devalued, feeling, you know, manipulated and controlled, gaslit, losing your sense of self. Um, In terms of like the perpetrators, there tends to be a greater, um, greater number of men that I hear about doing the perpetrating. So being the toxic partner in the dyad but then there's also like moms you know I I work with a lot of clients whose moms have gone through their own trauma and their own stuff growing up that now they've become super toxic and super controlling and narcissistic in ways that for clients growing up under that sort of authority is really traumatizing so I think it really like it's the whole spectrum. Mm-hmm. It's just what I'm seeing more of right now is people coming in with men being sure. the toxic users. And that lines up to what we were reading the other day, um, which was because, you know, like on Instagram and stuff, I'm trying to like post educational sort of things. Um, and I felt like I was like constantly like putting it on men, like calling men narcissists, you know, doing all mm-hmm. that. So I was like, let me look up what a woman is like as a narcissist. And that was like the way that they that they generally come out is through like a family leader. So a mom or like an aunt or something. Hmm. Um, So that that makes sense or that. That's interesting. Well, I didn't I've never. What a new thought. I but it (laughs) makes sense, though, because. I mean, you are the god of any kid's life. You know, you want to yeah. be with your mom. Love dads. Yeah. They're real ones. But I mom. mean, there's <laughs> someone that's feeding me, helping me, doing all this stuff. Like I'm coming from her. So yeah. we're going to have a closer bond than anybody. I'm sorry. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but how, like you were saying, how that can, you can be, you're more susceptible. I mean, that's the most susceptible you can be. You Absolutely. don't even have a choice. Yeah. yeah. And those are, I mean, for the mom, she gets you at your most impressionable. Like growing up, those are our most formative years, you know? So if what she is doing and saying and how she's treating you is how you end up viewing the world and your self-worth and you internalize it, like that's going to be a lot of trauma that you walk through this world with. And how do you combat that? <laughs> you go to therapy. <laughs> <laughs> What do you, you learn in therapy? 
What's some tips? That's a loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> like you got paid for that. We're in all sorts of things in yeah. therapy. Um, but I think therapy, like the biggest reason I encourage therapy for people having gone through trauma is because you can't get to a calm, balanced state where your nervous system feels safe all the time unless that's been worked through. Because there's going to be triggers all over the place, right? There's going to be moments where you feel like you can't be grounded in the present because you're so overtaken by everything you've gone through because our bodies hold on to that. There's no escaping it. And so using therapy as that safe space where you can you can cry, you can get angry, you can laugh, you can reflect on everything you went through, you can find meaning in it and become a better, healthier version of you. Like, I think we all deserve that. Yes. At the very basic, yes. minimal level of life. Yes. Wow. We should be able to understand ourselves. Mm-hmm. And be able to love ourselves and yeah, know what's going on yeah. with ourselves. <laughs> yeah, and also to know that like we don't have to recreate patterns that we've been living. Like, say it's a mom and child relationship. A lot of people will feel like, okay, I'm going to end up with my mom. I'm not going to have a family because I don't want to do what happened to me. I did, right. but that's true. And if you work through that trauma and you work on yourself, then you can create your own path. Well said. So for people out there listening who are like, I don't even know what that looks like. I cannot even comprehend what a healthy me looks like, because like you said, I grew up like this. What what are some things that are a common denominator in healthy people that are just like thriving? Yeah, that's another good question. For me, it's a lot of just self-esteem. You know, feeling good about who you are and what you're doing in this world and not feeling like you have to take on other people's burdens or other people's Mm -hmm. expectations. Like you just live in your own lane. Mm -hmm. Um, I think another piece of that is ensuring that you're surrounding yourself with people that lift you up. You know, like when we're at our best, I think we're surrounded with people that encourage that and celebrate that. And that's so important, especially nowadays, like connection online and connection through social platforms and all of that is so easy, but it's also easy to feel disconnected at the same time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I definitely, it's interesting because Everyone lives online, especially seeing my niece and nephew. I mean, they they're babies. Dash is seven, I think. I mean, he lives online. He's a gamer. That's what he's named himself. But I worry. I think how can you create the type of bonds that like I have with my friends and my family? Because I was around them constantly and the TV was a second thought or I mean, we couldn't connect like that. So. I wonder for that generation or for people who like exclusively lived online, how can they cultivate those good relationships? And there's definitely like a loneliness epidemic going on. So yeah. how are you supposed to cultivate that like online in a meaningful way? Because like you're saying, like social media is is such a smoke and mirrors. Like you can feel like I have all these friends, but it's like, but do you know? 
Yeah. And I think it really just comes down to taking it offline, you know, phone calls, um, FaceTimes, once it's allowed, when this pandemic is done, knock on wood, I hope that's soon, um, meeting up in person. <laughs> yeah, fingers crossed. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think just taking it offline is important. You have all the answers, therapist. Oh my goodness. You really do. What's it like to be a therapist? I know. I love it. I'm like, I'm like, do you get surprised by yourself sometimes of the things you say? Like, <laughs> you're changing people's lives. Yeah. If it's all about, if you're saying that the way to be successful is to look within, find a therapist or have people that are supportive around you, then you're literally changing people's lives. I mean, that's how I feel about my and, therapist. And in that, the world. <laughs> yeah. I, yes. I mean, that has been my goal since I started because, you know, there's this idea. So many of us want to change the world and so many of us do. And also for me, that felt like a really big thing to take on. So I was like, well, I can change one person's world. Yeah. That's that's enough for me. And that will give me meaning and purpose. And that's why I do this, you know, because therapist changed my world and I wrote my application to Pepperdine about her and I like sent it to her and I was like I love you so much and I just think it's a really beautiful thing that's created out of that therapy space and that relationship agreed one million percent uh (laughs) how do you get people uh, <laughs> one of my best friends. <laughs> I, okay, I I wanna I wanna talk to all the people. How do we talk to people that really see therapy as a negative? Because I really feel it's like you're turning your back on the literally the thing that you need. How do you mm-hmm. talk? And, and this and this really digs into cult of one mentality. I feel which is um, that's not an option. Not mm-hmm. because there is reason behind it, facts behind it. Their personal experience, because they haven't even gone yet. So how do they know it's so bad? Um, it's based off this illusion. Uh, go ahead. I mean, I own because I feel like our generation is generally better about talking about like understanding that therapy is good. However, the gen- right before us, that generation, to them, therapy meant you're crazy. So mm-hmm. then the kids that are, I guess, now our generation, mm-hmm. they've latched on to that. So even though there's like everybody saying it's good, I feel like there's still probably a piece of them that's like, but I'm not crazy. Well, and I wanted to ask you all the people of color that you see. I know in specifically um, my culture, it is it's it's feels looked down upon because my personal experience is I never cared because like you, I went to therapy young. So it was kind of like, this is normal for me. And, you know, I have a very loving family. However, and I still feel like in the black community, it's looked at with that the the type of eyes of you're crazy. You're not mentally stable because you can't handle yourself. I mean, I've been talking to my family more and more um, like I've been recording my aunts, my queen aunts, just to know more about them. And I realized there's so many people that passed away and it's never been talked about because there was no communication like the function of it was seen as not a necessity even though we did everything with it but in terms of talking about hurtful things or things that happened that were bad to the family it's just not spoken about and a lot of that I feel like comes with 
well, there's no therapy. And, you know, beyond their survival aspect of mm-hmm. what it might have to be. But um, yeah, so how do you how do you talk to the, those those beautiful people out there who I feel want therapy, but in their mind don't feel like they don't deserve it or it will make yeah. them look a bad way? Or, you know. That I feel like every question you ask me, I'm like, that's such a good question. <laughs> that's a good question. Um, I do. I want to touch on what both of you said, because I think you're both right in that there's this resistance that comes up, whether it's generationally, whether it's culturally. Some people just don't see it as an option. They see it as taboo. It's just it's not a good positive thing. And unfortunately, to those people, I think you have to really honor that and go with it. Because unless someone is really open to therapy and treatment, nothing's going to work. They're not going to get anything out of it. So we can sit here and, you know, write a novel about the benefits of therapy and how it could help them change, transform their lives to be better, happier, healthier. But if that block is there for them, nothing's going to go through. So unfortunately, I think then we have to end up sitting in our own discomfort and frustration that comes up for us, seeing our friends or our loved ones struggling and not taking action to like help themselves. So our, our, so in, so you're telling me if I heard you right, which was beautifully said, yeah, we have to just deal with it. Like you can't force someone to do anything that they don't yeah. want to do. I think so. Yeah, you're I mean, right. it's kind of the same thing with like. Mm-hmm. Sorry, oh, I was gonna say it's kind of like the same thing as like rehab. Like you can't just force somebody in. Yeah, that of course reminds yeah. me of the office when. Yeah. Michael tries to force <laughs> Meredith into rehab. <laughs> he drags her. Yeah. <laughs> To tie it back to like the cult of one mentality and why we're here. If you see a friend struggling in a relationship that's toxic and it's breaking her and you try to convince her to leave and all the reasons why she should leave, unless she fully believes it, nothing's going to happen. She's not going to leave, you know? So it like, it really has to be this internal motivator for change that drives someone to utilize that. Do you also apply the same kind of like you have to have boundaries and live your life? I added the boundaries part. Um, (laughs) You have to live your life and, you know, support them when it comes to (sighs) things not being attached to the truth, facts, their own experience. Um, and I argue, obviously, because I know what it's like to be in a toxic relationship, cult of one experience where you're not really attached to what's happening to you. Because for me, at least I was being told what was happening to me wasn't. And so, mm-hmm. you know, and then you come out of that situation, you come out of that bubble, that isolation, and then you you're talking to your your friends and you're saying things that are just not true. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I would say things that were just like not true. But like wholeheartedly, what? I believed it. What well, like felt like, like he wasn't mean to me, or like yeah, he called me lies, like he didn't, you know. But it's just like, yeah. and it's a, it's a weird state to be in, and I feel yeah. like I intimately understand it. 
but it being out of it <laughs> and watching other people go through it. And this can be, I feel like this also can correlate to Trumpism or anything that has to do with uh, blindly following a leader without mm. really thinking or, or on a basic level, putting yourself first before another human. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that applies to moms because moms put their kids first, but whatever. Um, I mean, for real, because I feel like I feel like a lot of these things are rooted in putting yourself before another. Mm-hmm. But how does that not sound selfish? How do you how do you make that sound good, Maya? <laughs> like, <laughs> hard to right. Yeah. <laughs> Self-care isn't selfish all over the place on Instagram right now. And I think that's really hard for people to understand um, and to to internalize. But I like to say, so, I mean, you know, when you go on an airplane, you're going on a trip and they give that whole safety spiel and they're like, put your own, your oxygen mask on first before assisting others. Mm-hmm. That's I view taking care of yourself. And so you need to take care of yourself in the best way that you can before you turn around and take care of anyone else. Because if you are not at your maximum capacity, you're not most patient, you're not most logical, you don't, you're not rested, like anything, you're not going to be able to help someone the way they deserve to be helped because you won't be all of you. You know, so if we, look at relationships and situations like that and we're able to set boundaries to protect our own health and sanity, I think that's what's most important. And then you look to other people because otherwise you're not doing them justice in helping and supporting them if you're coming from a place of not being fully you and fully just like capable of it. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. It was what, funny, like the moment that you started, I was like, this is going to be good. What yeah. <laughs> 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 funny to hear, yes. <laughs> absolutely. What What are the steps to creating boundaries? Because I feel like yeah. my creating boundaries got better with time after I kept doing it. And like, yeah. how do you even start creating safe boundaries for yourself? Yeah. You go to therapy. No, <laughs> that that's number one but but also I think one you make a good point like it does take a lot of practice and I think there's always room for improvement like even sitting here as a therapist I'm talking about boundaries and there's like tons of places where I could have stronger firmer boundaries Mm -hmm. Um, one is I recommend really writing down your needs so writing it on a piece of paper writing it on your phone and visualizing, like seeing what you need out of relationships, what you need for you to feel your best, whether it's, you know, a certain type of career that helps you thrive, whether it's certain relationships that you need to cut out because they're too draining, like write it down. Um, look at your values. Like, what are you valuing? Is your life, are you living your life aligned with those values? Are there places that you're putting in a lot of time and energy that aren't aligned with your values? And can you cut those out? Um, And then also I'd say just like talk to friends and family, 
I think conversations around boundaries are just as important as setting boundaries themselves. And you can get a lot of inspiration that way. Like, where do you set boundaries? How did you realize you needed a boundary there? What types of things can I do that could help me when I'm starting out in creating boundaries for myself? Mm. And then again, go to therapy. (laughs) (laughs) Are there are there a lot of resources um, if you have no money to see like a therapist or they go see a counselor if you don't have money or like what should you do? Because I feel like I know a hell of people that would go to therapy, but I feel like they they don't do it because they automatically like, well, I don't have insurance or I don't have this or that. It's like there's got to be something, though. Yeah, there are. And I think it probably differs place to place just in terms of like community resources. Um, There's a great resource called Open Path Collective, which offers low fee therapy between like 30 to $60 per session based on your finances, which I found is really helpful to share with people that can't afford, you know, out of pocket fees. Um, A lot of times if you're in school, there'll be school counselors that you can see for free. So utilize your, the institution, sometimes maybe work, will have therapists based on their EAPs or sometimes even like human resources people can be a good place to go and just talk and say, I need direction. This is what's going on. What are my options? I didn't know you could use HR like that. That's dope. Okay. Yeah, me either. Then, I mean... That's what they're there for. I mean, yeah, I guess I got I all mad. I was like, there. that's what they're there for. Now yeah. I know. Yeah. Yeah. So, sort of getting creative in that way. Um, Google. <laughs> I yeah. mean, Google is your best friend, right? Just like sort of researching fee, free or low fee options around me. And there should be things. This is dope because for me I think there's more options than just therapy I am a therapy person this is that's my home I'm going nowhere um but for everyone that you know everything can't work for everyone there's no one size fits all um yeah. so thank you one for giving those options because they're super super important but also life coaches throwing that out there but do your research like you were saying find what works for you um because I also find when if you're in a toxic relationship, a cult of one mindset, you might you're you're not going to go to your friends. Maybe even though that's your safe space, maybe in those turmoil times. Because for me, I didn't talk to my friends when I was mm-hmm. in a toxic relationship. Um, so, like you were saying, rightfully so, Maya, therapy. That's where you start. Number one, someone to talk to, um, someone to share that feeling. So, those reasons. Yeah. 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 And I think also I want to add, like, if you don't have a lot of resources or are you looking, you're looking to use a certain type of fair, uh, financial option, you can always reach out to therapists that are in network with insurance, even if you aren't or who are only full private fee and just ask them for help too. And say, like, this is what I'm looking for. Do you have any referrals? And the worst you can get is like one and no response, which really bothers me that people in my industry do that anyways. Um, <laughs> just no, right? But like just the other day, I got a referral and I couldn't help them, but I gave them a couple of resources that yeah. would work. Right. So 
yeah just yeah like, that's a great start for a lot of people i feel like that yeah. is almost even like maybe for people who feel like it's going to be difficult to find somebody like just reach out and be like this is what i'm looking for mm-hmm. yeah since you're in the industry like can you just help me connect with yeah. someone that would make sense for me yeah just yeah. guide me and i think ethically like my industry should be doing that all the time <laughs> right. you know whether it's a client that you see right now and you're referring out or whether it's a stranger that you've never met but just like anyone in need of help mm-hmm. I want to guide you right. so like yeah. feel free to reach out that is my mentality so we're coming up on an hour and we respect our guest time I have um one more question Marilyn if you have one as well you on your website it was very prominent I don't have my notes up so you said you were speaking to people of color essentially and I thought that was really really dope um because man having um a black lady therapist changed my life because I've been in therapy since I was a kid as I said so it the cultural competency changed the motherfucking game and I wanted to know why you felt you you needed to put that on there which is dope thank you for doing that behind that kind of well my reason behind that was like people like you clients Mm -hmm. like you right who feel like that just adds another sense of safety another sense of understanding to the therapeutic relationship and I think that's so important Mm -hmm. I feel like everyone deserves to be heard everyone has a story that needs to be told and regardless of your race, ethnicity, you know, sexual orientation, whatever. Like, I want to be that person for you. Mm-hmm. And if you relate to me more because you are South Asian or from, you know, India itself, like, yeah, more power to that. Reach out to me. You know, that I get you from another level. Um, so I just, I mean, I want to, I want to reach as many people as I can. And I think Part of that is being as inclusive as I possibly can be as a human, as a therapist, as a partner, you know, just mm-hmm. that's just how I'm built and wired. And I think especially having lived through this past year with everything going on, I think now more than ever, it's important to speak to those people who really have been spoken for a lot and mm-hmm. have had is disregarded and erased and you know, if looking at that on my website makes you feel more comfortable to reach out to get the support that you've never reached out for before, like, I hope that speaks to you. Oh, I'm sure it's speaking to people. You have to be, people have to be knocking down your door. Like, do you feel like it's been more busy because of the pandemic? Yes, it has. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my therapist said the same thing. She's like, yeah. people away. And I'm like, fuck. Yeah. I mean, it's been a, it's been a tough year. And has it, have you been doing it all like via Zoom and stuff? Or are you able to go in your So since March, I've been only virtual. Um, And I, I will continue to be until things have calmed down and people, including myself, feel safer going to -to face-to-face sessions. Uh, But I'm so thankful to have been able to do what I still do over telehealth yeah like it's been huge I'm sure what has that been like has it been do you feel like you're able to connect just as well or do you think there's like difficulty in doing it all over zoom yeah I mean it's not 
super difficult. It mm-hmm. gets the job done. You know, I'm, I'm able to connect and able to do what I need to do and help clients in the way I need to support them. I think it just ends up being more exhausting for everyone involved because there's no actual separation between having that contained therapy space versus the outside world where here you're doing therapy, where you work, where you sleep, where you eat, you know? So that ends up being a little, a little tricky and more, at least for me, tiring to do the work and then to step out and be like, okay, this is where I live. Mm -hmm. Uh, Another thing that gets lost is just body language and that energy. Yeah. Um, That's one thing that I cannot wait to get back to. But other than that, it's been great. Good. That's good. Are you okay? (laughs) Girl, we were, it took us like 10 minutes to get things going. I do not mind. We live down the hall from each other and she just walked in. (laughs) Your eyes, you're so sweet. I know. (laughs) Okay. Yes. So thank you so much for taking the time. Yes, thank for you. Gracing us with your presence. You gave us so much good stuff. I mean, everything oh, you said, I would hang it on to. Yes, it. I'm going to listen to this tomorrow on the bus. Yeah. I appreciate it. <laughs> I so appreciate you guys reaching out. This was oh, fun. Thank you for doing it. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for being on Cult of One, Maya. It did so.